Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Therapy Podcast with your host, Shloimi Balsam. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Therapy Podcast. We took a little bit of a break. Uh, I started a new course this week, and it's not quite as exciting as the stuff we've been talking about until now. From like a, like a technical, therapeutic vantage, but there is some fascinating uh, content that we could get out of these courses. So I want to share that with you. Uh, one, uh, what we're going to talk about today is qualitative research. And at the beginning of the year, uh, I shared with you a little bit from my quantitative research course. And research in general sounds like a nerdy, you know, uh, stay up all night reading books type of a thing. But um, I think what brought this to life for me was the idea that we have research that's being thrown at us from from media and from social interactions and any any chart or number that's thrown at you unless you study research you just take it as it is like oh you most people like coke over pepsi okay that's a pretty um undramatic one and right? people don't really fight too much about coke and pepsi it's just like a carnival game. So let's use that. So if I show you the numbers and I show you the charts and I tell you the studies, you'll be, okay, fine. That's it. Coke, Coke is better than Pepsi. But there is so much that goes into each study to be able to understand whether it's a valid 
conclusion. Whether the, you know, they give you a little snippet and even if they give you the whole study, but they give you their own twist and they'll tell you, okay, so this is the outcome. We had a lot of this going over COVID when, when talking about the numbers and, and in college, one of our, one of our tasks was to find a chart and challenge it. So I, I, it took me like three minutes. You went online and found my first chart and it was just, if you take a moment to study it, you can find incongruities throughout and that really debunks the entire uh, conclusion. The, the, but when it's presented to you as factual and they, they just throw up a chart, and you're like, all right, I guess that chart means what they're saying. So quantitative research is the numbers. Crunching the numbers, setting up the charts, and that's the data. What quant- quantitative research is, in contrast to qualitative research, is that you have a theory. I believe that more people like Coke than Pepsi, so I go out and I I can ask people and I can chart how many people said Coke over Pepsi. I can do the taste test and see how many people said they enjoyed that cup more than the other one. Okay. That'll give you a whole bunch of numbers. You crunch that and that can, will either prove or disprove your theory. That's quantitative. Qualitative research. That's when you have... Data. Look, this is what we're looking at. These are the numbers. And you extract from there a theory. Say, hey, if this is what's going on, if this is what people are saying, if this is the feeling that I'm getting from the situation, then this must be what's going on. Qualitative research relies on data obtained by the researcher from firsthand observations, interviews, questionnaires, focus groups, participant observation, recordings made in natural settings, documents and artifacts. It's interaction. It's, uh, if I may, it's more emotional than logical. There are many different methods of qualitative research. There is ethnography, grounded theory, discourse analysis, and interpretive phenomenological analysis. Let's talk for a second about the different types of qualitative research, different ways that we can get our uh, study validated. Ethnography, it's a form of anthropology, the study of people, the study of humanity, and the systemic study of individual cultures. If you want to understand how a specific culture and um, uh, system works, social environment. Ethnography is the way to go. It's also a type of a social research involving the examination of the behavior of the participants in a given social situation and understanding the group member's own interpretation of that behavior. For example, if you are looking to upgrade your video game and you know, you like how it's going and you want to make a new version of it. So you want to find out where the good parts are, where the bad parts are, where the, where you can have some improvement. What are the most exciting parts of it? So using ethnography, you're going to attack this from two different approaches. Uh, first, you want to examine the behavior of the participants in that situation. You want to watch them as they're playing. See when they get excited. See... When they're like, oh, this is dumb. Oh, the game jammed. Ah, whatever. When do they stop playing? At what point do you see they want to stop playing, but they're still playing? 
right? Let's keep it addictive. So what are those things that are keeping them in the game? Uh, I, I'm not supporting that at all, by the way, but that, that's what video games are. So that would be watching them and studying the social reaction to it. Um, the other way to gather some information about your video game would be to ask them, pull the guy aside and say, hey, buddy, so uh, I, I see you playing my game. What do you think about it? What are the good parts? What are the bad parts? What can, it, what can I improve? If you guys are following news, and I hate to like zone in on something that's in current events because if you listen to this in two years from now, it won't be current and it will be super boring. But there is, I assume it'll still be an issue in the future. Maybe people won't be making a big deal about it. But one of the ways that people use uh, ethnography, whether you know about it or not, is digitally. Where your, your computer, your device will uh, be able to track your interactions, your behaviors, and they can study you using the internet, social media platforms, etc. That is digital ethnography. Moving on to phase B, we have grounded theory. This is a, a systematic methodology that has been largely but not exclusively applied to qualitative research conducted by social scientists. The study based, when, you, when you're using grounded theory, you usually start with a question or just a collection of qualitative data. And then you work to build off of your data as opposed to vice versa. Very often you'll have an idea and then you go and collect data in order to back up your idea. But in grounded theory is like, look, this is, this is the information. This is why it's grounded. We have the facts on the table. And we're going to build off of this to create a theory. Let's see what emerges from this data. Grounded theory provides methods to help us create a hypothesis from qualitative data. After hypotheses are generated, then it's up to other researchers to attempt to sustain or reject those hypotheses. Questions asked by the qualitative researcher employing grounded theory include, what's going on? What is the main problem of the part participants? And how are they trying to solve it? Researchers use grounded theory methods. We're not aiming for the truth. Rather, they try to conceptualize what's taking place in the lives of the people that they're studying. When you use grounded theory methods, the researcher does not formulate hypotheses in advance of data collection. You go to the data, what are the facts on the table? And then you work off of that to try to get an hypothesis. Maybe this is what this data is telling us. But it's all grounded, wait a minute, grounded in the data, in the facts. Okay, let's talk about narrative analysis, narrative research or narrative inquiry. This is something that popped up in the 1900s. And the idea is to look into texts such as stories, autobiographies, journals, 
field notes, letters, conversations, interviews, family stories, photos, any artifacts, life experiences. And we use that method, that channel of analysis to research and understand the way people create meaning in their lives as narratives. We want to understand the story based on a singular point of view. Now, what's different about this is that we're looking at the story from one person. If you're going to go through um, ethnography, then you're going to look, you know, you're, particu- you're studying one particular uh, ethnicity, one particular group of people, one particular environment. But a narrative in, uh, research is even more focused and direct you're only looking at this one person's experience of what happened how does it work so first you develop a question you're trying to learn the why and the how so the writer's research has to be directed at determining the why and how of the research topic so when you're trying to figure out what questions to ask in your study You have to ask why or how questions in order to get the information you need. Then step two is you select or you produce some raw data. This tends to be interview transcriptions, but it could also be the result of field notes compiled during the participant's observation or from other forms of data collection that can be used to produce a narrative. You get a story. This could be a... a, a, um, an interview. You sit down with the guys. Tell me your story. And that is your raw data. So first you figure out what are you looking for? And you sit down with the person or you pull out the notes on the conversation and you say, okay, how, why, what's going on here? And once you have this data, you organize it. Donald Pokinghorn. Not kidding, that's his name. He says that the goal of organizing data is to refine the research question and separate irrelevant or redundant information from that which will be eventually analyzed, sometimes referring to as narrative smoothing. So narrative smoothing is uh, David Pokinghorn's idea, uh, 1995. Check out his book on narrative configuration in qualitative analysis. Um... So how do you organize your data? So there's, there's a number of different ways. You can use a thematic organization or synchronic organization. That's when you you consider the useful, the major events in the story. And you use that those to construct the narrative. Th- those are going to be your chapter titles. Um, there's also poking horns chronological organization otherwise known as diachronic organization so this is relating to the sociology of stories approach that focuses on the contexts in which the narratives are constructed you try to look around the story okay this is what the story is when was he saying it what was going on around him when this happened this tends to uh embody the nature of the person telling the story there's uh, Bruner's functional approach that focuses on what roles the narrative serves from different individuals. So the narratives here are viewed in the way in which individuals construct and make sense of reality, as well as the ways in which 
meanings are created and shared. Uh, this is considered a functional approach to narrative analysis because the emphasis of the analysis is focused on the work that the narrative serves in helping individuals make sense of their lives, particularly through shaping random and chaotic events into a coherent narrative that makes the events easier to handle by giving them, you know, some meaning. There's Guy's approach. James Guise, a retired American researcher who works in psycholinguistics and other cool stuff. So the way he organizes the data, he focuses on the ways in which the narrative is conveyed by the speaker with particular emphasis given to the interactions between speaker and listener. In this form of analysis, the language of that speaker that the speaker uses, like the, the pauses, the pauses that he takes, the discourse markers and other similar structural aspects of speech. That's where you focus. And in this approach, the narrative is divided into stanzas. And each stanza is analyzed by itself. And also in the way in which it connects to the other pieces of the narrative. You break down the conversation, the interview, the story into chunks. James F. Gubrium has a form of narrative ethnography which features the storytelling process as much as the story's analyzed narrative. What they were trying to bring to the table was, there was uh, Jaber and his his associate, James A. Holstein. So they said you can't just look at the text itself separate from the everyday context of their production. There has to be, you have to get a, a wholesome view of the story get the full dimension. There are a number of other ways of uh, constructing your data and arranging it, organizing it. That's step three. Step four is interpreting data. Some paradigms or theories can be used to interpret data. For example, um, you could look at it through a positivist paradigm, which is a logical, deductive, a grounded, and that, that'll give you a scientific report. A constructivist paradigm will, is trustworthiness, credibility, transferability, conformability, and that's going to produce an interpretive case studies or ethnographic fiction. If you want essays, stories, experimental writings, then you look at it from a feminist paradigm. Uh, essays, fables, dramas, that's ethnic. Historical, economic, sociocultural analysis, you'll get Marxism. Use Marxism theory in your story, in, in your interpretation. Using emancipatory theory, falsibility, di dialogical, race, class, gender, and you're going to come out with, with a, histor a historical, economic, and sociocultural analysis. Cultural studies... We'll give you a cultural theory as criticism. So we have a number of different ways of breaking down and, and actually researching qualitative data. We could use ethnography, which will give us an overview of a, of a specific culture. We have grounded theory, which looks at the data, looks at the information on the table, and extracts from there a theory, a hypothesis. Discourse analysis, uh, it's an approach to the analysis of written vocal or sign language use 
or something like that. Um, interpretive phenomenological analysis, that's an approach to psychological qualitative research with an ideographic focus, which means that it aims to offer insight into how a given person in a given context makes sense of a given phenomenon. So that, uh, in, in, it's, it's a mouthful. Interpretive Phenomenological Analysis, IPA. It seems like it's a, a phenomenological approach, which gives you, which means it's, it's from the person's perspective. You zone into his world, you stand in his shoes, and you look at, at the information from his perspective. The goal is to give insight using IPA and context to just give a, a, an understanding of what's going on. I suppose narrative therapy fits very well into this because you're going into one specific person's experience in this event and seeing how that that story, this qualitative information was experienced. All right, so we got through some qualitative research. We're probably going to get a couple more podcasts about this coming up. I hope you learned something. And uh, I'm excited to learn more about it. And hopefully by the end of this, we'll be able to dissect research offered to us and be able to, maybe even more importantly, be able to conduct research ourselves in a way that is effective and provable, reliable. I hope you enjoyed. Feel free to shoot me an email at asktherapy at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.